This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response, an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. This is TL Talk Radio, Season 2, Episode 19. Welcome to TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funy-Hetton and Randy Ziganfus, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziganfus. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hetton. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Lynn. So we're really excited. In this episode, we welcome Angela Stockman. Angela is a lifelong educator, author, and founder of the WNY Young Writers Studio, a community of writers and teachers of writing in Buffalo, New York. When she isn't working with studio fellows, Angela serves as a full-time professional learning service provider and instructional coach to teachers throughout New York State. She has extensive experience with curriculum and assessment design and is one of the most popular education bloggers in the world. In addition, she's a fellow of Communities for Learning, Leading Lasting Change, a New York Educator Voice Fellow, and the author of Make Writing, Teaching Strategies that Turn Writers Workshop into a Makerspace, um, the series, the Hack Learning series book two. So all the profit earned from this book is used to fund activities at the WNY Young Writers Studio. So we're excited to learn about making writing this morning. Welcome to the show, Angela. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. All right. We're excited to talk about this topic. So our first question uh, in the book, A More Beautiful Question, author Warren Berger describes a beautiful question as one that's ambitious and actionable. So as you were writing your book, what was the beautiful question that was driving your thinking? The book kind of evolved out of work that I was doing on the ground with kids at the Western New York Young Writers Studio. Um, I've been there for almost 10 years now, and we have a wide variety of students who come to that space, kindergarten, as young as kindergartners, and they go all the way up through 12th grade. And I work with a lot of adult writers, too. Some of them come, a lot of them come at the elementary level, um, because parents are concerned about the fact that they're resistant writers. Mm. And the older I've become, the more I've kind of realized as a teacher that maybe perhaps the resistant 
for reasons that we might be able to address. And so the question that kind of drove my work was what can I learn from resistant writers instead of kind of assuming that I might have a solution for them. Um, mm -hmm. And by paying attention and asking a lot of questions and kind of positioning myself as um, a learner and a documentarian, I learned a lot about how to help them that I would not have come up with on my own or even by reading a lot of professional literature that's out there right now. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting that you approached it from the perspective of the learner and trying to understand them better and understand what was that thing that that was causing that resistance. So that's yeah, exciting. there was it was a huge shift in my stance and my practice and probably led to the most profound work of my career. So thinking about your hacks as these books are organized into hacks, so your first hack talks about writing physically and collaboratively. What does this look like in the classroom and how can it vary for students of different ages? So this all was inspired by one student. His name was Luke, and this was probably eight years ago now. Uh, Luke was not at all interested in writing. And when he came into the studio, I started learning to ask kids who, who claimed to not like to write what they would rather be doing other than writing. And so Luke told me that he wanted to be at home playing with his Legos. And I suggested to him that we had to find a way to connect his Legos to what he did as a writer and that I would let him try to solve that problem and figure it out but that all of the teachers that I worked with there were really interested in learning from him how he might use Legos um, to inspire his work as a writer and when he came back the next day he had taken Legos with his mom at home and built things with them and then drew words on the Legos, individual words on each Lego. And he started snapping them together and apart and adding more Legos to his collection. And he would take pictures of what he wrote and built with these Legos and he would project them and he would use post-its to improve his word choice or to tear whole chunks out and move them around. And it started to occur to me that we could do that with what we call the mentor texts that we read in writer's workshop that instead of giving kids you know five pages of text to read and asking them to sit at a desk and highlight and annotate I could hand them scissors and ask them to start cutting it apart for specific purposes so when we mm -hmm. look at writers craft ideas organization word choice sentence fluency to go at a text with a lens and to use scissors to lift physically lift that part of the text away it decreases the noise inside of the text it also has kids get up and out of their seats sometimes they will take those chunks that they lift out of a text and move them around and analyze how is the author really doing this it looks very much like what makers do when they take things apart to study how they work so mm -hmm. that's how we use um, mentor text in really collaborative and physical ways because kids kind of talk with one another and blend their ideas together. The same is said for when they start writing. A lot of the writing that we do now happens on um, sticky notes or it happens mm -hmm. on index cards or it's happening um, on paper scrolls that kids can cut like long scrolls of paper, even register tape, the tape that comes mm -hmm. out of the cash register at the store. Mm -hmm. Kids like to write things on that and cut it apart so that they can move it around physically. We wrote stories last year on boxes, cardboard boxes, 
Kids put characters on one side, setting on another, problem on another, and so on and so forth. So they had a physical cube that represented the elements of their story. Then they stacked them together and started turning them and blending their ideas with other kids' ideas. And one of the kids suggested, this is a lot like what we do in Minecraft. Um, and mm. so those are just two, you know, kind of quick examples of what it looks like. But it's really about physically tearing mentor texts mm. apart. Um, so that we can manipulate them and move them around and then writing kind of um, bit by bit on sticky notes and post-its and doing things that have us out of our seats and away from computers and pads of paper. And thinking about learning styles and knowing that most often learning styles when teaching writing are those visual, auditory, and uh, verbal linguistic students. And now you've found a way to tie in those bodily kinesthetic learners and those tactile learners. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's important to mention there are some kids who don't like or prefer to write that way. And we need to honor that too. Mm -hmm. So we, we still need to have spaces for them to work quietly and independently, and in more traditional ways, because they're successful that way, and it works for them. Yeah, I love how you're making that physical connection, and that you sort of arrived at that by questioning your own practice and right. being curious about those students who were the reluctant writers and asking them questions and learning about what, what are the things that they connect with and then bringing that into the writing process. I think that's really exciting. It was a huge discovery that has really motivated me and it kind of refreshed everything. You know, I'm like 20 years into this and it was like a huge light bulb went on. It was great. <laughs> so let's talk about flexible learning spaces. In your book, uh, you mentioned about remaking your space to improve on an uninspired classroom design. So yeah. how does a writing makerspace look different and why is this important when we're making writing? There are three things that I was thinking about as I was considering this question um, that I could kind of fit into an interview. There are a lot of things that we could do inside of our spaces to make them more accessible for kids and to kind of put kids, it's really about putting kids in charge of the space and making the space as flexible and accessible to their varied needs as possible. Um, and so I think about three things in particular. First, as I said before, we need to have spaces where kids who want to write quietly and independently can do that. We also need a lot of space for collaboration. Um, and we need spaces where we can get messy and make things. So when I'm working in at the Western New York Young Writers Studio, um, I have some kids who might be working with Legos. I have some kids who might be making stuff that involves glue guns. I have kids who will be bringing in electronics projects from home. I'll have someone who's happily typing away on a computer working on a novel um, and needs some quiet space. And so it really challenged, challenges me. And then when I go into schools to support teachers to think about not just using a single classroom, but the entire building a little bit differently. Um, sending kids to the studios or sending them to um, the rehearsal rooms where they need to be if they're making something, they should be in the space that allows them to make it. Um, which provides more quiet space for kids back in the classroom. Or some teachers have, you know, add-on rooms that they can use, um, back rooms and areas where they can send kids to, to provide that kind of um, distinction. So having those different spaces is important. Inside the space itself proper, I found that I've had to remove a lot of the noise from the walls 
um, of our space because the walls become interactive. It's about having a lot of white space. Um, so that means whiteboards, even empty walls where kids can hang um, flip charts, sticky note flip charts where they can hang post-it notes where they can work with them and manipulate them on a wall, on a big, huge table, um, on a whiteboard. And so when I was in the classroom, my classroom had tons of posters and lots of student work covering every square inch of it. And in these spaces, there's a lot of empty space that kids fill temporarily um, and that they will erase and take down and repurpose when they're thinking in different ways or using using it for a different project. So that that need for abundant space is kind of huge. And then lastly, movable space has become something um, that we value a lot. So the tables that we use at Studio are made of two um, bookshelves and a hollow core door that we painted with chalkboard paint. It's all put together with um, Velcro, basically, so that we can tear them down and reconfigure them if we need to and um, move them out of the way if we want to have performances inside of the classroom and provide more space. So having those um, has been helpful. I am huge. I'm a huge fan of IKEA hacks um, because a lot of the stuff that we get... <laughs> Not that I'm doing a commercial here, but um, there are some really innovative ways to hack traditional pieces of furniture um, and make them movable so that you can design a space that fits the ever-changing needs of the kids who are in it and move it around and, and, um, and make it really uh, flexible. And and the way that you're describing it too, and and the way that you write about it is just exciting. It makes me want to actually be in that space and get excited about writing. How could kids not get excited about this by yeah, being in a, that space? Very motivating. Yeah, it was. It was a little bit. It, it kind of came out of frustration because I really wanted to let the kids use the space the way they wanted to, and the way they wanted to was not at all how I envisioned it. And so I started realizing that we needed to make some major changes. And my mindset was pretty old school and theirs was not going in that direction. But it's pretty wonderful that you were open-minded to listening to that right. and, and responding yeah. to that and then creating something in which um, that they could be free uh, to do what they needed to do. Yeah, that, that's important. And, and giving up some control and giving up um, what you envision a classroom is supposed to look like based on our 20 years of experience. Right. And anyone who reads the book, I mean, my biggest piece of advice would be you're not going to end up doing it the way that I did it either. I think the biggest mm -hmm. thing is that you're willing to have an open mind and to find out what the kids want to do and make the space bend in response to their needs. It'll look different than what I did. Mm-hmm. So you shared the story about your student with the Legos, and yeah. um, you've created you've created this exciting place to create writing, and I would love to love to see it. But <laughs> once you get those topics in in um, in place, sometimes writers still can struggle because they don't hone in on a topic idea. So you talk about teaching them to tinker in assisting and generating the development of ideas. Right. What does that look like? So tinkering is basically, if you looked it up, it's about messing around with something. The intention isn't to make a perfect product. The intention is to figure out what something is by tinkering around with it and what it could be if we messed around with it a little more. I think kids sometimes have a hard time honing ideas because they'll tell you they don't have one to begin with. 
And in traditional mm-hmm. kind of classrooms, and I was a traditional classroom teacher for a long time, um, we rush kids through the brainstorming and ideation process um, because we want them to get it done. And so I think that it can be very powerful to teach kids and coach them through protocols that help them generate ideas. It's not about giving them an assignment. It's about teaching them how to brainstorm in different ways that can be really rewarding for them. Um, I believe in giving them catalysts, exposing them to a lot of imagery, music, um, different experiences, mentor texts, having them talk with each other about the projects they're working on and the problems they're facing. Um, And tinkering comes in where kids start to kind of gather those sparks of inspiration. A writer's notebook can be great for this, but I'll tell kids to carry around a pad of sticky notes. And as they get a little spark of an idea, it doesn't even have to be connected to a writing topic, just something that intrigues them. Write it down on a single post-it note. Once they get a collection of those post-it notes going, they can start to mix them together. So they might see that ideas from three completely different experiences can connect together and give them a really cool writing idea. They might have had a conversation with a friend on Monday, gone to see a concert on Wednesday. They might have been reading a, a Twitter you know, exchange and something came up there. If they jotted those things down and kept them, they might see that when they mix them together, a really cool story idea starts to emerge. Um, so tinkering is about moving away from that one and done and let's arrive at a single topic really fast. And it's more about Let's collect bits of different ideas from different experiences and mix and remix them until we come up with something that we are really excited to write about. And that takes, it takes time. And your idea about creating post-it notes or, um, you know, collecting photos or a music quote or other quotes or even your Pinterest ideas help students fuel their own ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Pinterest has been a huge provocation for our kids this year. They are, I'm amazed by how they use Pinterest in different ways. They'll create boards for their characters and they will pin the clothes that their characters would wear, quotes that their characters, you know, would enjoy. (laughs) They have whole Pinterest boards that are not really reflective of who they are, but they're they're reflective of who their characters are. And it's, it's really cool. One of the main components of writing is writing for an authentic audience. So why is it important to connect writers to an authentic audience? And how can we as educators and teachers do this? I think that it's important to connect kids to an authentic audience because it's important for them to understand that their words can be of service to someone else. And if they have enough courage and they take a risk and they share what they really think and feel with people who might be interested in hearing it, they're going to find company. They're going to build a tribe and we're all gonna feel a little bit less alone in this world. Um, I work with so many kids who feel very much alone in their individual schools and in their individual communities um, because there aren't a lot of kids like them around or people who think like them around. When they start publishing, particularly when they start building community in safe spaces online, they find their people. And I really believe that that is the greatest responsibility that we have as teachers for young children. It's it's not about them creating a perfect piece so that we can stand up and clap for them at a, at a publishing celebration. 
It's about them really using their words as imperfect as they may be to find people who want to hear them and to find company that enriches their life too. And, and that's why I think it's so important for us to help kids find authentic audiences. So there's this bigger vision behind just creating the piece. It, there's a reason why we do that, right. and that is to connect to that wider audience and find those like-minded people or those people to share those ideas with and interact with those people around those ideas and learn and grow from that. Yeah, absolutely. So you gave us a piece of advice um, where you said that in your book, it will look different for every teacher. It will be, um, you know, your ideas will inspire other ideas. And also in your book, you encourage teachers to define their purpose through a credo, manifesto, or a purpose statement. Can you talk a yeah. little bit about that and your purpose statement? Yeah, I think um, my purpose statement has evolved over time. And I would say, especially maybe in the last five years, what I've realized is that the job of the writer is to teach me what I need to know about how to teach writing. And my job is to share what I learn with other people so that it can serve other kids outside of my immediate circle. And I really believe that, you know, that's my purpose statement. That's why I do the work that I do is uh, you kind of learn from students what it is we need to do to, to get better. But once we know that it's not enough to just keep that to ourselves, we really need to share that with other people so that more kids can be served too. Clearly, you have a passion for writing, and the way that you've <laughs> described uh, your space that you work with children in uh, is very inspiring and exciting. Uh, so what other things are you thinking about these days, maybe beyond writing or connected to that? So what beautiful questions are you currently thinking about? Well, right now, I'm kind of on a personal level thinking about the different kinds of writing that I want to pursue personally. Um, my kids are, are, I have a sophomore in college, and or, and one that's going to be a, a junior in high school. And so my time is becoming a little bit more flexible and my interests are growing as well. And I'm interested in really trying a bunch of different kinds of writing myself. And I'm considering what the greater purposes of that might be. Um, but in terms of my work with kids and with teachers, I am really fascinated by the power of documentation to resolve a lot of issues that we have inside of education right now. Um, a lot of the work that I do on the ground in schools is centered around assessment, and there's so much tension around the assessment conversation right now. Um, what I'm finding is that there are ways to document learning um, by making it visible and capturing it in the moment without disrupting learning to test kids or assess kids or badger them even when they're in the middle of doing something with our questions um, in order to learn more about how they learn best. So that's something that I'm personally really passionate about right now and trying to learn as much as I can. How can we kind of document learning made visible and use documentation to guide our assessment and let kids continue learning and making and writing and building and not disrupt them in order to test them. Um, I'm not quite sure how to do that really well yet, but I'm getting my feet wet. And it's been really um, encouraging work and exciting work. And those are the questions that I'm kind of pursuing right now. Well, they certainly sound like wonderful questions. And we'll look forward to hearing how they develop uh, in the near future, having Thank you share you. that stuff out, because I'm sure you will with a wider audience. 
We would like to thank Angela for joining us. And in the show notes, there'll be some resources there so that you can learn more about Angela and her work. Her blog is linked there, AngelaStockman.com. We'll link to her book uh, so you can take a look at that on Amazon. And also certainly reach out to Angela on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, or Google. Thank you so much. This was great. Wonderful to have you, you, Angela. Wonderful to be here. Have a really nice day. Each episode, we leave you with a question or two to think about with the idea of provoking conversation. This week's questions. What action step will you take to create a writing makerspace in your classroom? As a leader, how will you support your teachers as they work with their students to make writing? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find out more about the resources and links we shared in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org. Look for Season 2, Episode 19. We'd love for you to rate the show in iTunes, let us know your star rating, and consider leaving a one or two sentence review. If you have time to do that, that'll help new folks discover this content. That's it for now. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Angela. Thank you. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.